coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Help us. Our name is NCS. We are in the Castle Dungeon. And it's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. How's it going, Mark? It's going great. I'm so happy to be here. Patrick, I have to tell you that, you know, yes. now that we've kind of a little bit, at least for now, more formally moved to a twice-a-week recording schedule, I'm loving yes. it. I'm loving mm. uh, the opportunity to speak with you tw- two times a week rather than when we were mm-hmm. trying to record on one times a week, which was great um, as well. But <laughs> just like, it's just kind of, wor- it works out perfectly this way for me at least. Yeah. Well, when we're, I, when there's a commute involved, when you have to come to my place, it just makes sense for us to knock out both episodes in one night. It means we have like sort of a late night on Monday. Um, but like now, uh, when we're both recording in the comfort slash discomfort of our own homes, <laughs> uh, it makes it, it, uh, I, I feel like I can be a little bit more, um, specifically prepared for each episode. Does that yeah, make sense? I completely agree. And I hope that translates into these episodes and that our listeners aren't like, what are they talking about? They've, everything's just become more vague. Yeah, if if it sounds look, we think we're being more specific and clearer and giving you, I don't know, a better show, but at least an as good show. <laughs> we're as long as we're still using s- clear subjects in our sentences, then yes. I think Ugh. that that is a win. Subjects, objects, gerunds, <laughs> we got it all. Uh, speaking of have it all, having it all, would you like to borrow my copy of Sonic Forces? Uh, too bad you can't for a while. <laughs> but if you would like to get on the list to someday eventually own, owned, borrow my copy of Sonic Forces on the Nintendo Switch, all you got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com. At gmail.com. And uh, give us a mailing address where I can send my copy of Sonic Forces to you when I am not too frightened to go into the post office. Um, Currently, I am too frightened to do that. So you'll just have to wait. Um, Mark, I'll be honest. I've been thinking about playing Sonic Forces. Oh, my gosh. Things have gotten that bad. (laughs) No, it's just like it's there. Like I see it sitting on my shelf. I'm like. That's a game that's in my apartment, and you're saying no. No, I'm saying that this is the temptation that the Sonic Forces borrowing program was created to, like, um, uh, I don't know what I'm saying. Basically, the... No, you're right. I'm an addict. I need to be stopped. <laughs> you need to be freed of Sonic Forces, and the only way to yes. do that is to lend it to other people. And yet another casualty of COVID-19 is that it is sitting yes. in your house, and it's like um, the one ring from Lord of the Rings. Like, the longer yes. it's yes. there, the more it is turning you. It taunts me, my precious. <laughs> the thing is, look, if someone needs to use this as motivation to develop some sort of vaccine like 
Do it. I give you my blessing. <laughs> Mark, we're doing fun stuff in April because, uh, look, we had it on the books already. So we're going to keep doing it. Uh, we are doing a cool retro month of SNES classics. Obviously, today we are discussing The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Next week, we are talking about Super Metroid. Um, one of the greatest Metroid games uh, ever. Um, so if you would like to get in the conversation and talk to us about Super Metroid, shoot us an email, uh, play along with us. You can play it on the um, SNES Switch Online or the Super NES uh, Classic Edition. It's also available on the 3DS and um, Wii U eShops. Uh, so uh, check that out. Email us, tweet at us, and participate in the conversation. And then the week after, we're doing Yoshi's Island. And the week after that, we're doing Star Fox. Is there one of these that you're looking forward to the most? Uh, I mean, I think my favorite of all of them is the one that we are discussing today. Um, but I also, like, Super Metroid is a game that is in my veins. Um, that, like, I close my eyes and I see Super Metroid. Um, except for Meridia, that's the one part of that game that I do not have memorized. Um, what about you, Mark? What, what is is there one that you're looking forward to most? I can tell you the one I'm dreading the most, and that is Star Fox. But maybe it'll be like a pleasant surprise. Maybe I'll end up being like a Star Fox head. Maybe that's all I'll ever talk about ever again. <laughs> that's true. Like me with Star Tropics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, well, that's all well and good. Everyone understands what we're doing for the rest of the month. Mark, are you ready to get into it? Are you ready to discuss The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past? Yeah, let's do it. So, Mark, where to begin with this game? Um, I think... Uh, a good place to begin is with uh, an email that we got from listener Martin. We read this email uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, uh, but I just wanted to like re-underline the point that he makes here. Uh, Martin wrote, One thing I would love for you to discuss is how well these games would suit someone who has no nostalgia for them and who has become used to games with 21st century quality of life improvements. I know that will be tough as your playthroughs are bundled with tons of emotions, but I trust you to you two to try to step back and give an objective opinion. So I know that this is going to be a little bit hard for Link to the Past because this is a game that I think we both feel very deeply um, I think some of the the later games that we're going to be playing this month, like I have less um, just like memories of playing. And so mm -hmm. uh, it will be easier for me. But I did keep this in mind in my playthrough uh, for our discussion today of A Link to the Past. Yeah, as as did I. So, uh, Martin, we are trying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like with with that, uh, with that sort of spirit in mind um we can maybe just talk a little bit about uh the state of nintendo and the state of the legend of zelda as a series uh when this game came out yeah well i mean um, yeah well what's kind of like interesting about a link to the past is right it was only the third zelda game at this point and so now like the zelda yes. formula that, that we take kind of like for granted or at least took for granted before breath of the wild didn't really exist you had the original Legend of Zelda. Legend of Zelda. You had uh, the second game, which is like a huge departure, and then mm -hmm. you have uh, Link to the Past, which is kind of like 
a uh, I don't like basically a remake of the first game in the same way that Ocarina of Time would be a remake of Link to the Past and like so on and so forth. Yeah. Um and it's all it's it's interesting like how it like it it feels like it's part return to form but also part like its own thing. Like this is borderline where um Zelda gets its identity, right? Um like the idea of collecting uh one set of items to like trigger the second half of the game um is established here and then sort of revisited in all other Zelda games, right? Like Ocarina has it, Twilight Princess has it, Wind Waker has it. Um it's just like how these games are structured from here on out. Um and like uh um Link's Awakening was originally uh meant to be a um a remake of this game on Game Boy, right? Um and slowly turned into something else and it, it became its own animal. Um but like all of that is it, it just means that there are so there's so much of the series that's built on the on the blocks that Link to the Past laid down. Yeah, I mean for the longest time this was like my Zelda in a way. Yeah, was a link to the mm-hmm. past way more than the NES game. Either of the NES games ever were. Um, this was the one that like meant the most to me, and in some ways, like, still does mean the most to me. Did you play this on like Super Nintendo? Is that where you like put the most of your time into it? Uh, uh, originally, yeah, yeah. Um, that yeah, I I, I played this game uh, when it when it came out on uh super nintendo so it came out in um like may of 1992 um and i i definitely played it on super nintendo when it came out um i'm guessing you got to it later right yeah so like we had a super nintendo but again we came to it late i want to say it was maybe like 93 or 94 before we got one and i didn't like we did not own a link to the past. I would go to like friend's house or my cousin's house and like uh, see them playing it. And I would play some of it, but it wasn't until the game boy advance version that I like really sunk a ton of like time just myself into like exploring a link to the past. Yeah. Um, geez, I'm trying to remember what year this would have been, but like, um, so the the game came out in 92 and I probably played it somewhere right around then. At 92 I would have been 10 years old, right? Um and uh we used to go over to, you know, as as like I'm sure everyone does have like family friends where like they have kids that are your age so like you know them but like are you friends? No, you hang out when you're when your parents are hanging out. Um but I remember going over to the Willems house. Um, and Cleet Willems, who, uh, works for the White House now, I'm sorry, (laughs) um, he, uh, uh, was, was playing Zelda and was, like, deep into, deep into this game, right? Was, like, um, I think in the, uh, no, like, the, the last dungeon in the Dark World, um, and I had played through the game so many times at that point that as, like, a little 10-year-old, um, I knew how to get through the part where you have to like walk on the invisible blocks, uh, uh-huh. you know? Um, and just the, there was that moment of like, I'm 10. 
uh, or 11 or something, and he's like 14, right? Like, we're just far apart enough in age where, like, he shouldn't want to talk to me about anything. Uh huh. <laughs> but I could help him through the last dungeon in Link to the Past. Um, and that just being like, a part of I don't know I I just like I I felt like a valid <laughs> you know human being in this moment where I had something socially to offer him, um, but yeah I mean like that that was my experience with with this game was like being so deep in it that like um you know the kids that were older than me like sought me as a resource on playing this game yeah that's amazing. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? <laughs> Kids are so weird, man. <laughs> um, so when what what did it look like as you were sinking your teeth into the uh GBA version of this? Yeah, I mean, so for me, I had like a lot of friends at that time who also had GBAs. And so we were kind of like playing this stuff together where you know, like the, a GBA wasn't that expensive. I think it was like a hundred bucks. The games were like thirty bucks. And so mm-hmm. it was like, at that time, it was like super accessible for all of us. Um, you know, and so we would all be like, yeah, let's get like a link to the past. We would all play Link to the Past. We played a bunch of Four Swords Adventure, uh, you know, which like first came as part of the uh, Link to the Past GBA release. And so it was just like uh, one of those rare magical, vi- like video game intensive times in life where it was like, that's pretty much all I really had to worry about. Um, yeah. You know, like, so I, for what I was like my second ad- video game adolescence. And so it came at like the perfect time where I have such like fond memories of like really digging into this game. Because one of the things I appreciated so much on this playthrough that, well, okay, I guess it, it had been a long while, at least 10 years since I had done a complete playthrough of Link to the Past. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I, I just, uh, I, I want the record to show that when I went in to start my playthrough for this episode, um, I was playing on my uh, Super NES Classic Edition because um, I wanted to play on a uh, Super NES controller. Um, there was the first save file had 20 hearts and had completed the game <laughs> so <laughs> i had already i have since the snes classic came out you know like a year and a half ago uh, i have all played through the game uh, and then i have played through it again since now yeah. obviously like i have uh started the game a bunch of times mm. over the years like a playthrough but i always usually get to like i finish the light world like i get the three pendants and then it, oh, then you get to the dark world, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's like seven or eight more dungeons that I have to do. Yeah. Um, and even this time, you know, like you and I were talking, I was like, well, I, you know, I just finished the light world. Um, I don't know that I'm going to finish it. But I like pushed through this time and completed the whole game. Um, obviously, that increased my appreciation for it in a way that like <laughs> there was a lot of stuff that I had forgotten over the years that like continues to open up once you get into the dark world and are going between the dark world and light world. So like back and forth. Yeah. And the, the dark world, the uh, right when you get there can be a demoralizing experience. Right. Um, and not just for like the, the story reasons of like, you thought you were rescuing the princess and then like, you're not, you know, that that's something that's easy to overcome uh, like mentally and emotionally as an adult where you're like, I know this is what's going to happen in the game. Um, 
But like you're suddenly put into a version of the map where you can't get around as easily and where suddenly there are these uh, giant cyclopses throwing bombs at you <laughs> and dealing way too much damage and that you can barely hurt. Um, and like the game like ramps up its difficulty or like kind of ramps up the uh, gatekeeping that it is doing um, and just becomes uh, like for the first maybe like three or four dungeons and until you get through the one that's in um the like dark kakariko village uh-huh um that it is like a severely limiting thing like it is actively pushing you back down after freeing you so much it's also like the light world is so welcoming and like you know yes. the music is fun and you go to like kakariko village and it's nice and everybody's around you're just like oh i like love this overworld and then you you get transported to the dark world and like the music is mean everything's brown and ugly you know like so it's just like less of a fun place to hang out in Mm -hmm. and so that makes it hard as well yeah totally but but it is one of the strengths of this game i think is uh that it presents like I, I think it deals with the like duality of uh, Zelda worlds in a way that's maybe only rivaled by Ocarina of Time. Um, that like it's not nearly as good in like Twilight Princess, for example. Um, like, and it's basically the same as uh, a Link Between Worlds, right? Um, with high rule and low rule. Um, but like the emotional. The feeling of being in the dark world is exactly what the game wants you to feel, right? Mm-hmm. You're meant to feel like beaten down, like this is a, a horrible, crushing place that needs to be saved or rectified or destroyed. Like it's not really clear what what you're doing. Yeah, it's like a bleak future, right? Actually, okay can can we get into the plot of it just? A little yeah. bit because yeah, lay it on me. what is actually happening when you go to the dark world? Are you transporting to a different time frame? Is it a different dimension? So it is uh, when you travel to the dark world, you are going to the uh, what was previously the golden realm, right? So it is a version of Hyrule um, that is affected by. Uh, the person who wishes on the Triforce. If Link were wishing on the Triforce, it would become a beautiful place filled with all the rocks and pots that you want to throw around <laughs> and probably a bunch of rupees. Um, but since Ganondorf wished on it, uh, you know, millennia ago, uh, back in, you know, the time frame of video games that have not yet been made in 1992, um, it is this, like, horrible dark world, right? So it is, it's like a... Uh, a dark version of paradise, basically. So both exist in parallel. Like, yes. So the light world exists and you obviously, because you have get the magic mirror and you're like transitioning between the two. So it's just, it's like a parallel universe that is where like Ganon is, has his power. So you have to go there in order to destroy Ganon. Correct. Gotcha. Um, but I will admit the game is not super clear on communicating the like larger mythological points of its story. Which, I mean, again, it was 1992. So, yes. you know, it was the era where if you wanted that sort of information, that's what the instruction booklet was for. You could go t- into the instruction booklet and get, get like a deep dive into the plot and everything. 
And there is definitely a deep dive into the plot. Uh, if you g look at the instruction booklet for A Link to the Past, um, we've put a link in the show notes. When the SNES Classic Edition came out, Nintendo put uh, like scans of all of the original instruction booklets up online. So we included that link here. They're really fun to go to check out. The Link to the Past one is like, not as fun because it's a little bit like the Silmarillion where you're like, oh my gosh, this is for like dense pages explaining to me what like the history of Hyrule is. Um, but it's fun to check out for the illustrations and everything. Further to that, if you are interested in uh, even denser, even longer uh, descriptions of story and lore, you should check out the uh, Nintendo Power Player's Guide for the Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. It is available. Um, we're also going to put a link in, in the show notes for this. Um, but like it lays out the events of the two previous games as well. Um, and it's, man, it is a, a, a wild trip to see what game guides used to be um, because it is so, it's almost like, um, like I could flip through this and just sort of read it casually without the game by my side as though I were reading through like an RPG book. You know what I mean? Where like you just want to like, oh, wow, the, the elves are, oh, they're a little bit smarter than the dwarves, you know, and like <laughs> just flipping around and like trying to figure out like, oh, does that spell have a connection to like this dungeon over here? Um, They're just so it's so full of lore and like original art and not all the art is good some of the art is bad <laughs> um but like it's just it's super interesting to see the lengths that nintendo and nintendo power went through to try and like bring what is a 16-bit presentation um that is you know translated from japanese into these uh you know uh text boxes that are necessarily leaving out crucial information um and like try to present that as like this high epic fantasy story um but as far as what's actually in the game um uh like how much do you think the like the grandiosity of this story is actually communicated in the game um i i actually i feel like they do a surprisingly good job like mm -hmm. i you know from the beginning screen they give you a little bit of information about the like the triforce and the history of the triforce when you first go to the dark world they do give you like a little bit of history each one of the sages tells you like a little bit of information and then is like did you get that do you want me to repeat it because i'll repeat this text box i'll do it um i'll do the whole thing again <laughs> so yeah i actually i i do think that like the you know, maybe like the details of what exactly is the dark world is maybe not super clear, but um, the emotion of the whole thing I think translates surprisingly well. So I think I yes, I think the emotion for sure. Um, I don't know if it's just because like I've played this game thirty million times or what, but like every time I get to the sages like telling me about stuff. I am just jamming on that A button and I do not read a word. <laughs> like, um, and part of that is like, you just finished a dungeon, right? And you just like, all you want to do at that point is like restock up on fairies or health potions or, you know, whatever, um, and get back out into the world. And the fact that you have to get through these like thick dialogue walls 
Um, like I just want to skip past them. It's surprising um, to me that that is like one of the things that persists past a link to the past. Like Ocarina of Time does almost literally the same exact thing after you defeat every dungeon. It's like, all right, here's this sage, and they're gonna like talk to you for a little bit and explain what you gotta do next. Which which is bad there too, but at least like uh, in Ocarina of Time, when you go to like wherever the sages are <laughs> that weird little like room where they're all floating <laughs> on like a giant hexagon um at least that is doing like sort of cinematic camera angles and like the camera swoops in and like the music is interesting um this is literally a black screen with <laughs> the sage in a like eight polygon diamond that like rotates around them slowly um and then just text um, so like the presentation there, I feel like does leave something to be desired. Yeah, I, th- um, I think that's fair. But I think, I, I think that's balanced though, um, by just like the sort of atmospheric storytelling of everything. Um, this time through, I was particularly struck by, uh, everything in the first 10 minutes of the game. Uh, so like w- when, uh, the, the way it like starts you just like, Link wakes up in the middle of the night with this message, uh, this telepathic message message from you don't know where, from Princess Zelda. Um, and you go outside and it is raining and storming. Uh, there are flashes of lightning. This is the only time you'll see rain in the game. It's the only time it's nighttime. Um, and like all of this stuff that's just happening to like paint a picture, paint a mood um, to start the game is so interesting and unique. Um, and then, like, that slowly gets layered on, like, uh, you're seeing the castle, your uncle is hurt, um, and then, like, you find your way out into the sanctuary, and there are, uh, uh, you know, stained glass windows, and this, like, beautiful church music. Like, everything is, like, builds on itself so quickly to create a world that feels so complete by the time you are eventually let out into the open world. I 100% agree. The fir- the opening of A Link to the Past is like one of my favorite game openings ever. Um I love like you mentioned it, but I love that like you uh at the start of the game your uncle like leaves and then you go and follow him. It's raining. My favorite type of atmosphere in video games. And then when you like for <laughs> for whatever reason just like the little details of like you're you are going into the like underneath the castle and your uncle is there and he's like continue on you know like here's the sword like all of those like little details like really build on each other this time I was just like really impressed with the small details I had forgotten like when you go to the throne room and you can like cut the curtains and so you know like and yeah. there's like there's a functional reason for it later uh but like just those like little that little attention to detail that I had forgotten about that you were like man even back in the nineties Nintendo was like so good at their craft so good at like those little details that um, made everything just feel so much more realized. Yeah, and then like so through through the course of like the the opening. Which, you know, as, as, as you uh, were saying, like, it is so, like, rich and full of detail. Um, but, like, in maybe, like, a, a linear way or, or something, um, it is, it's contrasted by the second you get to Kakariko Village and realize that everyone in this town uh, responds to you differently. 
and like you can the first time you get to Kakariko Village, you can spend half an hour just like checking off. Uh, it, it's not you don't have like a quest log or anything like that. The game isn't so transparent, um, but just like slowly gathering resources and and information and like uh, figuring out uh, you know that you're pushing blocks around to like get access to rupees. You're buying a bottle from the from the merchant in the town square. Um, and then you're also seeing things that are going to pay off later, right? You see the running man, the man who, like, you get close to him and he starts to run away. And you're like, okay, I can't catch him now, but maybe someday I will. You see the, uh, the blacksmith, right? Like, hammering on a sword. And you're like, I can't interact with this now, but someday I will. Um, and, like, all of it just feels so alive, and you're able to check off all these things. Like, okay, I can check with uh, the sage's name is, like, Sahar Sharala or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, you go to his house, and you find out that, like, oh, he's out in the desert. So, like, that's your next, like, main thing you got to do. But you're also like, oh, there's a sick kid who uh, gives me uh, a net. Here's a dude who misses his kid. Here's, uh, like, uh, walls that I can bomb um, and all of it is just that village does such a good job of being like no every inch of this game is something that you need to explore and can be rewarded by yeah and I had kind of forgotten that and so that's what I like really loved on this playthrough Um, I actually found the dungeons to be pretty tedious I think I'm beginning to like mm-hmm realize that I don't really like Zelda dungeons that much. Uh, I find, like, I just find it, I always find it too much. I feel like the shrines in Breath of the Wild are actually the perfect amount of Zelda dungeon for me, where it's like one or two puzzles, get it, get out, and then there's a lot of that instead of just like, um, you know, having to spend a full amount of time, like 45 minutes to an hour, like puzzling out these different dungeons. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of that does feel like, especially in the later dungeons, of just sort of like luck of the draw. Like, did you decide to go to rooms in the right order? Because um, if you don't, or like you burn a key earlier than you're supposed to, or something, um, that especially those later dungeons, like in the swamp or like Turtle Rock um, or the very last dungeon, if if you take a wrong turn in them, they can take forever. Yeah. To like, find your way through them. I also felt like the dungeons didn't really, for the most part, I didn't feel like they're like, once you got into them, there was enough like variation or enough where like, where, where the location or they didn't really have enough theming for me. You know, like I, like some of them do, you know, you have like the ice palace and I feel like, uh, turtle rock, like does a good job as well. But for the most part, mm-hmm. I just thought it, like, everything just kind of, all the dungeons just kind of felt the same. So the real joy to me was exploring Hyrule and finding all of these, like, things that I had either forgotten about or that I was like, oh, yeah. Like, when, I, like, when you swim, when you first get the, um, the flippers and you're swimming and you go underneath the bridge and there's the man who's, like, yes. camp- camping there. And like, yeah. f- like stumbling onto that stuff and being like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Or the, the pond of luck, like all like, just like those like little things that I appreciated so much in Breath of the Wild. And it was so amazing to me to go b- 
back and play Link to the Past and be like, wow, these really have their roots here. Like, that's really where so much of the stuff we praise about Breath yeah. of the Wild, like, it, w- so much of it is right here in A Link to the Past. And it's interesting how uh, Link to the Past, like Breath of the Wild, doesn't really signpost those things. Like, it, it does in that, like, you'll see an interesting area. Like, uh, take the, the man camping under the bridge. Um, you'll see that, like, one side of the bridge has, like, rocks on it, so you know you can't, like, swim in that way. But the other side is open. So, like, it's, it, it's the sort of thing where, like, your brain acknowledges, um, like, there's an area there for me to explore, but there's no one telling you. There's no text, and there's no, like, arrow, and there's no blinking, like, waypoint marker being like, don't forget to check over here. Um, and I, I don't know if, like, it's just my familiarity with the game or um, if the game actually just does a good job of uh, kind of funneling you into points of interest in the same way that Breath of the Wild does. Yeah, I think that it it, it rewards exploration, 100%. Like, if you aren't just going totally. from, like, dungeon to dungeon, and you want to explore Hyrule, then um, there's a lot to be found, and a lot that is, like, super rewarding and will help you on your quest. Like, but, like, it's the, uh, the Pond of Luck is, like, a suit, oh, wait, maybe it's not the Pond of Luck, maybe it's one of there's like a fountain that you find that you toss like your weapon in and then the mm-hmm. fairy comes. And if you say, yeah, I threw that in, she will, you know, like upgrade your sword to the gold sword, yeah. like all that kind of stuff. I think the fountain of luck is the one that will ex- increase your capacity for like bombs and arrows and stuff. I think that's the pond of happiness. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's a pond of luck. I think there's a pond of happiness. There's lots of ponds of, right. But like, um, you know, so like uh, finding the, f- finding those things help. But you don't have to do it. I do think mm-hmm. that like, um, it is Breath of the Wild did such a good job of being like, yeah, on every, literally everywhere you go, uh, if there looks if it looks like there's something, there is, and you'll be rewarded for checking it out. I would say Link to the Past is less like that. You. You you know you could spend a lot of time exploring and not really find anything, but when you do find stuff, it's all I yeah I always sure. thought it was like really c- cool. Like I felt special for finding it. I think, and this is maybe just Zelda standard too, um, that uh, this game does a really good job of um, every power up feels huge, um, like when you uh find the guy that uh like curses you to have double your magic power um suddenly magic feels like it's usable mm-hmm. you know like um that you don't have to just be like tending to your magic meter the whole time um every time you upgrade your sword you feel like twice as powerful as you were before um armor upgrades you feel uh twice as uh invulnerable um that like with every it's so different to the way that like a, a normal uh, experience points based RPG works, right? Where like you see gradual gains. Um, every time you get a power up, you feel like a newly powerful link. I also felt like, and maybe this is just like recency bias, but I feel like that like the way that the power ups enable you to explore by more of Hyrule is handled really well in A Link to the Past. Where it doesn't, mm-hmm. it feels like a natural progression to me, not so much like 
obviously it's like an artificial gate that the game has put up, but it feels like totally. natural where it, other than maybe the power glove where you're like, come on, let me just like lift these rocks. Um, yeah. But uh, otherwise you're like, yeah, okay. Like it makes sense that I'm not going to be able to like swim in the deep water until I get this thing. Um, it, do- it didn't feel like limiting to me in a way that sometimes my memory of playing like Twilight Princess was like, I felt like I was being artificially boxed in and you can just like really tell. Yeah, well, and it also uh, doesn't feel as, um, like, I, I think this is something that we are going to experience in Super Metroid, where, like, before you get the, uh, you know, any of, like, the Morph Ball abilities or before you get the ability to, like, even the high jump, like, we will feel those, right? Like, we will feel Samus's uh, more limited mobility. And I don't think that Zelda makes you feel limited uh, early in the game. It just makes you feel empowered later in the game. Yeah, I, that's such a good way of putting it. Yeah, I think you're completely right. Um, okay, so uh, how much uh, like running around and extra stuff uh, did you do in this game? Did you do uh did you knock out side quests early? Um like what what was your general approach to uh getting through this game? Um hmm. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't feel like I really spent a significant amount of time pursuing like side quests. Um mm-hmm. I feel like I like spent most of my time exploring on my way to the next destination. Which, yeah, I mean, maybe my use of the term side quest isn't really applicable here. Um, but, like, uh, I, for me, uh, and this felt like a, a, a different way for me to play this game, um, I was trying to do all of the uh, extra stuff as early as possible. So, like, I was going to the Pond of Happiness um, as soon as I got the flippers so I could start throwing rupees into that thing and, you know, max out my... Uh, bombs and arrows um i got uh all of the bottles as quickly as i could um and like filled them all up with blue potion like i was just uh for whatever reason this time through i was like no i want to be maxed out so when i go into the harder dungeons that i'm just a tank and i can just roll through it um and it was it was fun and like you know maybe i'm in a slightly different place because i know the game so well um, that I can, you know, sort of at the drop of a hat, uh, flip the switch in my brain that's like, stop going for the dungeons, go for everything else. Um, but it was neat to kind of uh, approach it in that way and felt a little bit more like open and malleable than uh, the game normally feels to me. Well, speaking of having to or trying to be like super leveled up before you uh, like approach some of the dungeons, what did you think of the boss battles this time through? Uh, it's weird because as soon as I get the cape, um, I just spam the cape on all of the bosses. Here's a, I did not get the cape this go, this go through. Oh, no cape at all. Yeah. No cape at all. <laughs> um, so the, the cape I actually got later than, than I usually do. Um, well, well, we'll we'll stick on uh, the the subject that that you started here. Well, is, we uh, we should explain what the, how the cape works. Totally. Um. So the the cape is an item that you collect. Uh. That a you it uses magic while you're wearing it. 
Um, and while you're wearing it, um, Link becomes invisible and invincible. Um, so he takes no damage during this time uh, and also doesn't get knocked back or anything. So it makes it the perfect tool to fight any boss uh-huh. because you just throw the cape on and uh, swing the sword <laughs> until you run out of magic. And by then you've killed the boss. Um, but uh, so normally I, I pick up the cape um, before going into the third or before finishing the uh, third dungeon in the Dark World, um, because uh, around the third and fourth dungeons, you can start taking stuff out of order. Um, and so I usually, like, uh, I get the, uh, the, level, uh, the level two power glove um, in the fourth dungeon and then go pick up the cape and then uh, take out dungeons three and four mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in that order. Um, and it is uh, usually too easy. Um, so I, I didn't give myself that favor, uh, but I, on, on the, on the subject of, of the, uh, bosses in general, um, they feel a little, uh, damage spongy to me, especially in the early go, um, where like you figure out how to fight them. And then I can't believe the game makes you keep fighting them that long. Yeah. I feel like, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they were just. They're just not very memorable. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that they got better at bosses, like in, and I think like opening up the world up to 3D helped a lot. But totally, um, yeah, the link to the past bosses, like this time through, I was like, you know, I would encounter one. I was like, oh right, this was a thing. But there was there was no encounter that I was like looking forward to. Um, or like any boss where I was like, yes, this is a cool boss and I'm so glad I get to fight it. It, they all just felt like a chore to me. Yeah. Which then like in the, uh, in the last dungeon in the dark world, um, where they make you fight all three of the bosses from, um, the light world dungeons, Mm -hmm. um, again, uh, every single one of them, I was like, I don't want to fight these again, (laughs) especially that like worm thing that rolls around and. It just keeps knocking you off, and you're like, oh, now I gotta climb back up here and fight it again. <laughs> that's uh, not a good boss. That's a bad boss. I'm gonna come out and say that's a bad boss. Was there anything that like surprised you this go round, or like anything that was particularly memorable in a way that like really struck you when you played this time? Um, I don't know. I I I, I felt more this time uh interacting with the um people in Hyrule um or the people in um Kakariko Village uh like coming back from the dark world version of it um like where you uh bring the little like frog guy back mm-hmm. um he, he's a frog in the dark world and then becomes um the dwarf who like crafts your uh the level 3 sword for you um I felt a lot more like connected to those characters and the sort of like the deformation of characters going into the dark world felt realer to me this time. And I don't really know why, Um, but I I don't know that there were any like gameplay moments. It all felt like story or character things. What about you? No, I I feel the same way. And I think it goes uh along with just like this time i really enjoyed the overworld and just ex- living in hyrule and like exploring hyrule 
and the dungeons and stuff were you know fine sometimes really like annoying to get through but uh for me like a moment that like struck me this time that i never really like thought about before was just like flute boy where you know like he's looking for his flute you find his flute he turns into a tree and you're just like oh my heart for whatever reason you know like those little three little dialogue boxes just got me really feeling for flute boy yeah, I mean that's that's a lot of good and you know uh, again like to the game's strength um that they're not afraid to use um unique visual assets to tell um a meaningless one-off story, right? Like um you don't need to it's it's not uh, it bears no weight on like the giant mythological implications that there's uh, a boy out in the woods and his father who misses him, right? And that the boy turns into a tree, like turns from a creature that we only see one time in the game into a tree, which we also only see one time in the game. Um, It's just, it's that level of like commitment to the storytelling that feels so like special, Mm -hmm. you know? I completely agree. And it's why like, even though, you know, my mindset has kind of shifted on the game where I wasn't really looking forward to going in and like, exploring the dungeons and everything i still found it such like a rewarding playthrough yeah um did you use any uh extra materials to get through this game Either oh the yeah i did nintendo power players guide <laughs> <laughs> i a hundred percent used guides to get through the dungeons because i was just like nope i do not like after once i got to the dark world and some of the later dungeons I was just like, no, there is no way I'm like just stumbling my way through this. It fe- it feels like a waste of time. I'm not having fun. Let me just look up a guide. Um, do you remember what guide you used? Uh, I used one from actually, yes, I do. It is uh Zelda Dungeon, I think. ZeldaDungeon.net. Uh, they have uh Zelda like, Dungeon. They have a good resource. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about you? Um. No, I I used nothing, uh, except I used, uh, of course, the unfair guide that has been seared into my brain <laughs> over the course of the last 28 years. Was this a question that was just set up so that way you could say that you didn't use a guide? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, this is the kind of game that I would totally use a guide on. Um, were it not so much a part of who I am, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if if I were playing, um, you know, one of like the Oracle games, I I, I would I would absolutely use a guide. Um, but yeah, I just I just have too much of this dumb game memorized. <laughs> I've got, I have to tell you, looking forward to the future, that um, Star Fox, I am dreading partly because. A guide will not help you. A guide's you. not going to help you. Yeah. <laughs> no. I know what I got to do. <laughs> you got to shoot and do a barrel roll, man. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, one more thing that I will say about this game that uh, struck me, and I don't know, it's not like unique that it struck me this time um, as I am moved by it every time I play this game, uh, but the end of this game, like after you defeat Ganon, because the Ganon fights, you know, whatever. Um, but the sequence after is incredible. Um, 
the uh, the like little dancing Triforce pieces that echoes what you see on the title screen, um, and then Link actually grabbing them, and then the kingdom returning to normal as you just gradually check in on everyone. Um, and the music is this unique piece of music, which we've played on this show many times before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anytime that I need to like pull out the stops and be like, here's a piece of music that we don't talk about enough. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's one of those. Um, and that plays through like a- as you're checking in on, you know, uh, the, the witch and the uh, flute boy and the uh, like the kingdom is at rest and all that's incredible. And then the game just goes to like the regular old credits um, where the uh, pieces of the Triforce are still like kind of spinning around. And we get another unique piece of music, which also slaps. It's so good. The music at like the end, end, end of this game, the credit music is perfect. I love it. I know we already crowned the best Nintendo music ever, but I feel like we got to go back. <laughs> well, I pretty, I'm pretty sure anyways, the piece we crowned was the overworld theme from A Link to the Past. Great point. <laughs> which does, I mean, which does make sense. Yeah, the music in this game is absolutely iconic. Um, yeah, and to your point about like that ending sequence where you're checking in on everybody, it feels, and I maybe I'm just like really feeling sentimental right now about like community and connection, but it yeah. felt earned to me. Like I, that is really mm-hmm. the part of Link to the Past that I loved. Yeah, yeah, and it's it. It's it's nice that uh, the game has a it has like a handle on what what its emotional beats are. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it it just it knows itself so well. <sighs> okay, Mark. Here we are. I think probably at the end of our discussion of a link to the past. Do you think that this is a game that you can recommend to someone who has grown used to the quality of life improvements we have in games in 2020? I do. I think Link to the Past is a true classic asterisk use a guide for the dungeons. <laughs> I think that's great advice. And specifically, use the Legend of Zelda Link to the Past Nintendo Player's Guide because uh, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if there's a ton of crazy art in this thing, like it's just wild. Um, but it, it also offers like two different versions of walkthrough in it. One where like it tells you what's going on, uh, one that like is a little bit more spoilery, and one that kind of uh, like lets you do some discovering on your own. It's cool. It's a really cool guide, um, and uh, almost more than the game. I recommend everyone check out this guide. Yeah, I don't think I've ever rad. seen it before. I'm I am definitely gonna check it out. Um, I I'm sure we had a copy of it because it came with uh, like the uh, subscription in Nintendo Power. Uh, it's crazy and makes me wish here's a, a thought that I've had uh, for a couple weeks now is I would love for there to be like a new uh, 8-bit or 16-bit style uh, you know Zelda-esque game that leaves all of the storytelling to like the print guide um, and that like you basically just need the guide to play the game like oh man I would love that uh, an interactive uh, literature game experience ooh Baby, someone make that, please. So I think Nino Kuni, the original Nino Kuni on DS, had mm. a mechanic very similar that it, I believe it came with like a very thick like book 
that was important to the gameplay and like explained like the lore and everything. Um, I'm not even sure it was released in the U.S., but uh, yeah, I was gonna say I think that's uh, Japanese only. Yeah, but I think Nino Kuni attempted something like you were talking about just unsuccessfully. And like uh, ten years ago, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, Mark. Do you have any final thoughts before we close out our discussion on the Legend of Zelda: A Link to the Past? Um. No. I now I really got to check out that pl- uh, player's guide from Nintendo Power, and we'll be including the link to that in the show notes so everybody can check it out. I'm going to make a copy of the URL right now. Okay. (laughs) All right, Mark, let's close out this segment. And that is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. How did you enjoy your playthrough of Legend of Zelda Link to the Past? As I know you have been playing along. I know it. I know you have. It's very easy to do. Um, You should email us and let us know at Nintendo Cartridge Society at at gmail.com. And of course, of course, if you have any observations about the game that we are playing next week, which is Super Metroid, a.k.a. Metroid 3, a.k.a. maybe the greatest game ever made, you should email us or tweet at us. Uh, We would love to have your observations in our conversation next week. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can share us on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff. Um, On Twitter, you can follow Mark and I or the show. I am at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo, and our theme music is provided by Apep Eddie. You can get more of his music by going to apepeddy.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying thank you for listening. That's right, Nintendo Cartridge Society listeners, what is going down? Are you ready for a promo? Let's do yoga. Let's get fit. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Muriel. And we're the hosts of Hella in, in Your Thirties. A podcast about a cool couple trying to do adult stuff. So each week we invite you to join us as we try to learn things we should probably already know, like how does a stock market work? Can we install that bidet? Why are all of our houseplants dying? This is a podcast for people of all ages, because remember... Age ain't nothing but a number. But being Hella in Your Thirties is a state of mind. So tomorrow's a new day, let's order pizza. Campfire.